What is up, everybody? Welcome to Bold Women, our podcast. And today, I'm so excited today. Well, actually, first, my name is Maria Weiler, and I am one of the hosts with my dear, dear friend, Meryl Wilson. There you go. I didn't know if you were going to say your name or if I was going to say it. I mean, I could have. But here we are. But... Today is an incredibly special day, and we are beyond honored. Right here to my left, we have Philip Smith. Philip, welcome. What's up? What's up? <laughs> so, long story short, Philip has been my counselor for, oh gosh, since 2018, a minute. And um, a hot, mm-hmm. a hot minute. We go back a ways, and he was. Um, found him like not great story on how we found him but i say we because well i was married at the time what brings us what brings us today? together today was my there divorce <laughs> that sounds <laughs> sounds so weird but no philip was my counselor through uh, one of the hardest parts of my life and um just so so thankful for him so we were working on this podcast and we were like man what could be really really great is looking at some hot topics or um, words that are just really, really prevalent in our culture and asking a counselor who loves the Lord, who yeah. is here to look at the world through biblical perspective and also from like the, like the counseling side and that side of things about just hot topics. And so I was like, Meryl, should we reach out to Philip and check? And we're like, let's do it. Let's and go. here he is. He agreed to it. So welcome. Let's Philip. go. Let's go. <laughs> We've got lots of questions for Philip today. Yeah. So um, I'm going to try also this being said, I did wear a waterproof mascara because I don't think I've ever had a conversation with Philip <laughs> where I have not ended up in tears. Um, multiple times is. where I have used whole boxes mm-hmm. of tissues, but wow. I'm hoping that this doesn't turn into a therapy session. So we'll do our best. We'll do our best. I will, for you listeners, I will reel, reel me in. in. All right. All right. So today, I guess we can introduce this. Our topic today is on the the topic of narcissism, which is a word that we hear so much in our culture right now. And sometimes personally, I think it's twisted a little bit versus like, what is it really? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's used used on different things. So we're going to kind of dive into this idea of how can we find genuine in a world that doesn't really quite feel like that. So uh, our first question, Philip, is... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, your background, education. Who are you? Yeah, what do you want? What do you want everybody to know? Fill the mm. people in. So I'm a therapist. I've been doing this since uh, 08 when I graduated from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay. Um, originally, I went to college to become a cop. Anybody who knows me knows that is not the career choice for me. Yeah, I can't see that. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> With all due respect. So, yeah, with no. the badge, though. Yeah, so <laughs> I was in Huntsville, Texas. I was part of the criminal justice program, working in prison, and I became a Christian, and the Lord revealed to me that is definitely not what I need to be doing with my life. So what am I going to be doing? So I've been helped through therapy and pursued that and love it. Can't think of anything else that I would do. So um, I didn't know you wanted to be a cop. Mm. Wow. Roll reversal. (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. Yep. So, um, yeah. So I love therapy. I get to see a lot of different people. Uh, I used to work downtown only working with one subset of people with one group of symptoms and wanted to kind of pan out and work with a lot of different people and be a generalist. And so um, I've now been at Diakonos Counseling for... Eight going on nine years, nice. and I get to see a lot of different people. Some know and love the Lord, some people don't. That's great. So one, okay, so that kind of uh, actually leads us right into our next question. So yeah. what are what are some of the most common reasons people come to you for counseling? Hmm. Well, I like to say that I kind of uh, divide up my caseload into threes, okay. kind of couples. And that was me. That, that was, was me. you. There was a, there was a gesture to <laughs> mm-hmm. marital counseling is what brought us together initially. Yes. Um, and a third young adults trying to make sense of life and anxiety and depression and suicidal ideations and such, or how to support other people that are dealing with that. Um, and then a third, just kind of general stuff, you know, a mixture of different things, whether it's schizophrenia, um, PTSD. I see a lot of PTSD. Um, 
love it. Uh, don't love the people <laughs> go through it, but I love working with it. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. That's cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, this overarching thing it, here is this idea of narcissism. Mm-hmm. So, um, in your professional experience, well, actually, um, I read somewhere that narcissism comes from a, okay, no, not that question. I'm sorry. I moved my questions. Uh-oh. Failure on my end. Um, well, I'd like my thumb on the scroll move the mm-hmm. questions. Um, we, we've heard this term floating around kind of like I said earlier, but for those who might not be familiar or who are younger, or just kind of coming into this idea, like, and just, we hear the term so much, but what is narcissism? Like what is it truly not like sure. what people think it is, but what is the, like this clinical definition of it? Sure. So overly inflated sense of self, uh, grandiosity, uh, an extreme sense of disregard or lack of empathy for other people and what they may be going through. Um, manipulation, taking advantage of other people, really it's self-centered, um, you know, manipulation of people now in, in a, in a sense, I mean, the true narcissism, you know, uh, people don't understand that they really have it. That's, that's a whole other thing, but, um, you know, their whole worldview is based upon getting what they want. I saw an interview, uh, on Reddit with this guy and he was a narcissist. He had narcissism, you know, true clinical. And he said, I'm the worst kind of friend. You don't want to be a friend with me, but he actually recognized that he mm-hmm. had it. Yeah. Okay. Cause I feel like that's, Sure. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, basically I'm just going to manipulate you for myself at all times. There's always some other angle that I'm going on and they're not terrible people, mm-hmm. but this group of symptoms can be very challenging. You know, Yeah. is it something like, I know this isn't necessarily a question we have on there, but just, it could be like a short answer, but is it something that is like someone is born with or does it come from like how they grew up or what typically leads to, yes like, to some yes. of those behaviors? Yes and yes. Okay. So probably nature nurture is the, the traditional question, you know, and how people are raised, uh, how they see other people in their lives interacting or lack thereof. Um, a lot of it is, you know, what were you brought into the world with? what did you see the people around you doing? Mm-hmm. If you saw like a same gender parent doing this to a significant other or, or to you or other people, you learn a lot more is caught than taught. You don't have to be told to manipulate people. You see mm-hmm. how people interact with one another and that's what you start to do. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. The, um, do you want to ask the next one? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned that, um, most, uh, most people with narcissism, like clinical narcissism, aren't aware, mm-hmm. um, that they have it. Um, so how, how would you, how would you help someone who struggles with that? How do you help walk somebody through like, Hey, this is something that's going on with you. Like, Hey, you're really self-centered and trying to control everything. Sure. Like, but, or yeah. How do you get somebody to not, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Sure. How do you get sure. somebody to just understand that that's, what, that they're that's what they're doing? Well, so it used to be how things were diagnosed were on like a five point or axis system for mental health. Okay. And axis one is like generalized anxiety, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Axis two is major depression or as a, you know, mental retardation, developmental delays, and also personality disorders. So if we talk about narcissism, that's where it traditionally would have been. Narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. So our oldest son, who's now 16, as of Monday. That is crazy. mm -hmm. Sorry, that blows my mind. He's little. Yes. Well, he still is. He's like 4'10". Five foot. Five foot. (laughs) Anyways, that's 16. So, you know, his mental retardation developmental delays are on axes too, which is like, these things are very challenging. You don't just take medication or get more edumacation to be able to get out of that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not like you go to an OT or a PT and then you just magically, Oh, your IQ increases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so same thing with like actual narcissism. If we're talking about the personality disorder people, it, it's the whole way that they see the world around them. So it is more of a challenging thing. This is something that you have to be specialized to really treat well, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a number of different things, whether it's group therapy, individual therapy, um, a lot of different specialized forms of therapy to help someone. But uh, 
I think back on um, stages of change, you know, developed in the seventies where, you know, somebody goes from like, Oh, pre-contemplation, I don't need to change. There's no big problem. Everybody else in the world needs to change to actually, you know, maintenance of that, the fifth stage of like, I'm living this life out and I've changed everything about me. And that pre-contemplation to the second stage of contemplation of change of like, Hmm, maybe I keep burning bridges. Maybe, you know, everybody keeps saying the same thing that I, you know, monopolize conversations that I take advantage of people that I don't really think about what other people, you know, their perspective or their own emotions. I just kind of look out for myself. It's a long process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how do you help someone? You have to be in it and win it. And as a therapist, I would say that person has to really be in it and willing to look at themselves and open up their soul and really consider like not blaming themselves, but considering how, you know, biologically, how maybe their brain perceives things, how their emotions and neurochemicals and how it affects everybody around them, not considering that they're a terrible person again, but that their mind is skewed Mm -hmm. and how they perceive things. So I think you have to, you have to have that carrot. You have to have that reason to what's your motivation. And that's one thing that like, you know, I ask clients like, what's your motivation change or why are you going to keep coming here when things like, are getting why are, tough? Why are you yeah. here? Mm-hmm. That's like good. from the beginning, from mm-hmm. the get go. That's good. Cause it can be tough and it can be strenuous yeah. to like allow yourself to really open yourself up to someone, Yeah, you know? Um, so to answer Meryl, the original question about like, how do you treat that? Um, Repetition, repetition, you know, this is something that like, like a borderline personality disorder, you need multiple times a week therapy to kind of reshift everything initially to be able to help someone truly to be able to see consistently that they where this kind of like infects their life. You know, yeah. I mean, this, this whole podcast is about theology and psychology. So how does this affect one's view of God or themselves in light of Mm-hmm. a higher power as well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so as as someone who counsels people, man, you have to have an abundance of patience. I'm sure because if it's about like repetition, repetition, because mm-hmm. at some point somebody's going to it's going to click where they're like, "Oh, I'm the common denominator." Wow. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe it's me. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is the Taylor Swift song like? "Hi, it's me. I'm, I'm the, the problem, problem. It's me." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, I read somewhere that narcissism actually comes from deep-rooted mm-hmm. sense of self-hatred. Sure. Is that true, or why does it appear to be so opposite Sure, at times? Kind of a, a radical um, overcorrection, I would say, to a deep-seated mm. depression or lack of self-worth. Okay. You know, so when you see someone who has this grandiosity, it's generally in reflection to honestly, underneath all those layers, you know, having to prove that they are someone. It's not that they really believe that they're someone. They have to prove that they are someone. And so they're overcompensating. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So my first job after grad school, I was working in a prison and, you know, we had people come through um, with this new program. And one of the employees had asked me, like, who do you think is running game in here, Philip? Who do you think is really in charge? And I was like, oh, well, that loud guy over there, he's really commanding everything. She's like, if you just sit down and you watch that quiet guy in the back, he's the one in charge. He's the kingpin. And I was like, well, how? Like, She's why? like, what? he doesn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to make himself known. It's the undercurrent. It's the loud one. It's the chihuahua, if you will, mm-hmm. that has to kind of prove that he's someone he's really not. And so good thing. I like big dogs. <laughs> oh, just, yeah. Sorry, Reno. <laughs> and so it kind of is like, if you, if you feel like you are something, then you don't have to tell everyone, you don't have to keep repeating to, to people, right. you know, yeah. that, that you're correct in a, in a, you're self-assured. A sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense actually. Yeah. Good, Cause I just made it up. Did you- <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it Classically, I would say it comes from a low view of self and an overcorrection to have to. Do you think it comes from, well, like how we were kind of mentioning nature versus nurture, but like that, that side of being in being brought up to not love. I'm trying to think of how I want to word this, but like rooted so deeply in like how you were brought up 
to how you have to define how the world mm-hmm. sees you, mm-hmm. which I think that's exactly everything you just said. And I just answered my own question. But you did what most of my clients do. And you summarized everything I said, 80 words and less than the five words. And you said, oh, that's the same package, right? Dang it. Yep, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. What just made me laugh is for you and you said like, you just did what most of my clients did. I'm like, I am one. <laughs> and that would be what I would do. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So Philip, I know that this is a question. I have had girlfriends ask questions like this. Um, I know that our listeners would probably want to know this too. So do you think that it's possible for someone to have a healthy relationship with a narcissist given, given what we've discussed so far? And Mm -hmm. if, whether it is or it isn't, what advice would you give to someone listening who is either in a relate, like some kind of loving or romantic relationship Mm -hmm. with a narcissist? Sure. So I would ask, you know, the question is, yes, you can. Again, like you said, Meryl, going back to what we discussed before that, you know, it may take a while to figure out Mm -hmm. how to do that. That person, if you're going to be in a healthy relationship, you have to have your stuff together. That other person has their stuff together. That's why like AA says, you know, when you're in recovery, you need to wait a year before you start another relationship because you have to know your own stuff. Yeah. And so if you're in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic tendencies or meets the criteria, yes, my next question, ladies, would be, what's the definition of healthy or relationship? What are we really looking at? Ooh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's okay. a great question. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, listeners? What is, like, make sure it's actually healthy. Well, okay. Flip it. What would you define a good, healthy relationship as? Can I define what's not a good relationship? No, like 100%. a healthy relationship no, would be like- No, you can define yeah, what's like not. Do both. Good, good, you know, like kind of uh, assertive boundaries- and guidelines of like, you know, if we're going to talk about narcissism, we're going to talk about like love bombing or, mm-hmm. or how that can look that like, you know, a healthy relationship can look like, uh, you know, I, I was kind of going over everything on the drive out here today. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if I brought y'all gifts and it would be like extravagant gifts. And I've never met Meryl, but I've met you, mm-hmm. Maria. And like, I'm going to bring her like this giant presence. And that's like, Love bombing. Like, what's the real thing? Oh, thank you. I want to repay you for having me in your house for your podcast. Or is it, yeah. I want you to think even highly higher like more of high, me. Uh, like higher okay. of me. Yeah, yeah. That's and so a healthy relationship is interdependent, but not codependent or enabling or, you know, to have a relationship with someone, you know, opens you up to, um, conflict, um, criticism or critiquing and to have a relationship with someone with narcissism or narcissistic tendencies, you have to have your own healthy boundaries about what you're willing to put up with, who you really are and what you believe and why. That's good. So you're, you're open to your own feedback, you know, and, and somebody else's, but your whole life isn't dependent upon that one person, Mm -hmm. you know? Cause I feel like you look in our culture right now and you see like where people get in relationships and all of a sudden it's like ghost town. Like you don't mm-hmm. ever hear from sure. them again or like you have good friends and it's like all of a sudden like, Oh, like, yeah, they start dating someone and then they are like, everything is all about that person. That's where they spend all their time. Like they're never around you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like all those things. Would you say, and I know this is a little variant off of narcissism, but would you say as yeah, in like there. healthy relationship, hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> healthy relationship that that would be like a, a big thing of like, Hey, this probably isn't a healthy relationship. If all mm-hmm. of a sudden, like your friends sure. don't see you, your family doesn't see you. That becomes mm-hmm. everything that you, you are about all that. Yeah. And that can go both ways with like love bombing. That's one of the characteristics with that of like overabundant, extravagant, like, you know, Maria, you met this guy two days ago and all of a sudden he's popping the question, you know, uh, he doesn't want you doing his podcast not, anymore because that has not happened. For all you, oh, when this releases, oh, never mind. <laughs> we don't know where she was going with that, but I don't think we want to find out. So. All right. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. That makes sense. Do you, um, oh, so a healthy relationship would allow you to have friends, would allow you to have other things that you enjoy doing beyond just being around that one person or their family. Right. You have your own thing going on mm-hmm. and that's very important. Some, not all, not none. 
you know, an unhealthy relationship would look like you never spend time together. The other person ghosts you and is only there for you when they want to be there for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Only, you know, keeps you on red until they want something back from you. And then it's like, oh, hey, I just read your text when yeah. really it's, you just didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Fancy that. <laughs> okay. In your professional experience. What have you noticed to be the toughest area to heal from after a patient or client has gotten out of a relationship with a narcissist? Like yeah, what would you say they struggle with? They the struggle most? with the most. Like when they're trying to just deal with the fallout of being in a relationship with somebody who is, who is either sure. clinically narcissistic or has tendencies. Mm-hmm. Trusting themselves, I would say, and, and being able to stand on their own two feet because that, that other person or people in their life, depending upon the amount of time that they've spent in that relationship. And and we're not just talking about intimate relationship. It could be, you know, there's a lot of books out there about, you know, how to heal from, you know, like the, the mother wound of, mm-hmm. I grew up in a family where the mom was the narcissist, mm-hmm. had narcissism and how do I know healthy boundaries and communication yeah. and how to be myself in light of same gender parents. So we're talking about relationship, but not just, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. Sure. But, you know, hardest thing I would say is, you know, and even when I researched that, you know, how do you begin to go through the the stages of life, psychosocial stages of development and, and learn to trust someone again, to trust yourself because God and then you are going to be the only two people really when lose or draw in your life. And then how do I trust a friend that what they say is from a healthy perspective mm-hmm. of they're really trying to help me, not hurt me when they point out these things about me or significant other or my mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Do you like, what are some ways that you are like, I guess you could say tips for that healing for helping people who have been, I know this wasn't on the list, but that have been in scenarios like that, of how can you help them kind of start or tips to start that healing process of, of trusting self again, if that's kind of like the primary thing that you see, like that's the first big one is Mm -hmm. like learning to do that. How would you say that they're like, how do you recommend helping or starting that process? Finding or reconnecting with healthy supports in their life, Mm -hmm. whether it's uh, the friends that kind of dropped off, because of the the narcissistic tendencies of their significant other or family member, getting them reconnected back to church or a support system where people are all trying to be healthier and self-actualized and transparent so that they can see what true healthiness can look like. Um, encouraging them to get back to living the other 99% of their life outside of that relationship. So what are their hobbies, you know, um, Earlier today, uh, a 13 year old who's now our youngest, he and I were playing basketball and I thought of you, Maria. And so it was just like, you know, going back to what were those things that you like to do earlier on in life? Let's get Mm -hmm. back to those things so that we can enjoy life outside of that. Having them just to be present, like when we went through uh, my family, like a church implosion a long time ago and we went to a new church, they just said, sit it out for a while, like for six months, just ride the pew. And that's what I would encourage somebody else to do. Like just be there, observe, work through your emotions, reconnect with God, um, get into a support system or group of people with this specific thing. So there's NAMI, N-A-M-I, uh, a national organization, uh, groups for people who, uh, loved ones of those with mental illness or those suffering with mental illness, getting part of a group where other people can also help you along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, divorce care, grief share. Shout out um, to divorce care. I did that one. Whoop, whoop. Hey, oh, I think I read a book of theirs. Did you? Might have been. Yeah. Was it um, when the vow breaks? I don't know. I don't know if that was part of their network. They may use that. It could be. Yeah. I, but I did like... Um, yeah, that was well, courtesy of mm-hmm. Philip gave me a list of resources and I went to the, ended up going to that class and it was, mm-hmm. it was great. I have some funny stories from it, but. And some mind blowing stories. And some mind blowing stories also. Especially yeah. the woman who was facilitating it. Yeah. Her story's mm-hmm. nuts. It made me feel not, I was like, oh, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, you're going to be okay, Maria. I promise. Yeah. And it takes time. Yeah. It takes time. Do you think that there is a skewed view of what healthy is after that? Sure. 
you know, early stage of grief and loss is two years, any kind of loss. It takes two years to then begin to live that life again in the absence of whatever that relationship or that job, that thing was that was lost. And so I think anybody who's dealt with profound grief could really say, you know, that first year people are like, oh, I'm going to give you some time. And then after that year, it's kind of like, so when are you going to get your stuff together? I thought you were good. How about you go date again? Who are you looking for? When are you doing these blind dates? And it's like, I- I'm just trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Two years. I'm trying to get my stuff together. And people have a skewed view of like, okay, you're okay enough. I mean, it's been a year, so <laughs> you should be able to just jump back out there. You should be good yeah. by now, right? I'm making a face because I'm sitting here thinking about that too. I'm like three. I'm <laughs> are you just past, just past three years after my divorce. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Yeah, it it's it it's crazy sense. how how you don't think you think that you'll heal faster than you actually do and 100%. that's a really really difficult thing to wrap the mind around just on like the concept that like this sort of thing takes a lot of freaking time mm-hmm. to to mull through. Yeah. And I mean, Maria Gosh, and I have I, these conversations all the time where we're like, "Man, I thought I was past that already." Yeah. And then mm-hmm. and it could be up. like something super random and it be like super small. Yeah, thank oh, you. Yeah. Very benign. Yeah. Sure. Like things where it's like, this would be like, you're literally having a breakdown <laughs> over someone didn't respond to your message the way you thought it should. And now you're going down the spiral. Of, Don't come for me, Maria. No, I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking about myself. Okay. For She's listeners, also talking about me though. <laughs> we're also talking about Meryl, but for listeners out there, we, Meryl and I were laughing where it's like, thank God we both have our emotional breakdowns at different times and the other one can pull the other out. But, yeah. um, yeah, thank God, thank God. But no, I think that's one of the things I remember. Well, gosh, sitting across from Philip, like eight months in being mm. like, Oh, Philip, I thought I was better. <laughs> sure. I thought I was be- doing better than this. And like, just genuinely feeling that and then being like, Oh crap this is going to take a long time. And I just remember him always being like, it's a process, Maria. And I always remember being like, cool. Can we speed it along? Sure. And then you would always say no. Mm-hmm. And then I would be frustrated. Yep. So progress is a long, tedious, arduous process. But yeah, yeah. it takes T I M E. What a good and speller. Bad news guys. Bad news guys, guys and gals. It's going to take time. But Meryl, I think you hit it spot mm-hmm. on too. Of like, it always takes longer. Mm-hmm. always takes longer than what you think. And then I, Philip, I like what you just said to you, like how people can even be like, well, you should be good or yeah. you're mostly good and not realizing that it's little things that can kind of trigger. Or that's your inner critic sitting there saying that to you, where you're just like talking yeah. to yourself negatively. Like you should be past this. You yeah. should be healed by now mm-hmm. because, um, X, Y, Z. Sure. Or, Self-gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> turns mm-hmm. out, I, feel, I, turns out I do sure. that too much. <laughs> Um, which you're aware of, uh, mm-hmm. there was one time I just remember Philip and I've, I've told this story to my friends, but, um, just even in that feeling of like having to get better, like wanting to mm-hmm. get better. And I remember you like rolled your chair around and you were like, Maria, and like, you look at me straight in my face. You're like, you can't be perfect and you're going to die trying. And I just remember being like, first off, pump the brakes. <laughs> you're not wrong, but you have to say it like that. But just that, like, <laughs> yeah, this idea of like, you can't. Yeah. You can't do it. And it is, it is the process. And Mm -hmm. it's just, and I do feel like big picture, like God is a God of process, not a God of like immediate. Sometimes he does the immediate things, Mm -hmm. but I feel like far, far more often than not, it's about the process because of what happens on the inside. Mm -hmm. So that's the James one stuff. That's the James one. Hate James one, but absolutely (laughs) love it. It's my favorite chapter and book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's like a love hate relationship. Okay. Question. How can you tell if you are dealing with someone who has just a strong opinion or someone who is trying to manip- manipulate? Sure. Or what? It's a wonderful question. Like what is, cause there are some times where it's like, yeah, like I, I have friends who have very strong opinions. They're very, for example, Meryl is a very like up, upfront person. Sure. Her, <laughs> not in a bad way. No, I know. I'm laughing cause it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but like where someone, yeah, you, this is just strong opinion and whatnot or but is every opinion a strong opinion that's impenetrable? Okay. That yeah. is not open to any other critique. If if someone has a strong opinion, that's great. I, I know the best way of doing something and everybody should be doing this. You know, drive a hybrid, drive an electric car. Cool. Can they listen to outside opinion about why something may or may not be the only option? You know, um, you know, 
Meryl talks to you, Maria, about this new person that she meets and you're like, oh, well, here's some little holes in that, you know, can she or this other person be open to hearing why that's not the healthiest relationship? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a strong opinion, we all have strong opinions and we mm-hmm. all have narcissistic tendencies. You know, we can be opinionated or feel like, you know, our way is the best way, but is that person is. open to anyone else's? Yeah. Because the thing about like narcissism or any other traditional personality disorder is that it's a whole worldview. This is how they deal with everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, their boss plus their parent plus their best friend is an idiot. Well, what about this other example? No, they're still an idiot. They 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 try their best, but they're still not correct. Oh, you know, this is still the best way. Like, there's just no give on. On anything. Mm-hmm. What's I feel like you're describing my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> and again, these people, you yeah. know, they just don't know they that. Don't, yeah. yeah. In order to protect themselves and overcompensate for those wounds. Um, I wish I could know because I want to quote this person. Um, but I was doing a training and they, they said, everything that is hysterical is historical. So every reaction oh. that seems hysterical is based off of a historical Something. wound. Do you feel like in your, like your experience that you have seen like similar wounds that tend to lead to that? Sure. Like if there are like, re- like patterns to like, mm-hmm. Oh, typically like I noticed this type of wound mm-hmm. can lead to this type of behavior. Sure. Wow. What would you, do you have an example or like <laughs> something that you could say, like I t- have tend to, I have Tended, no, tended to see. Tendencies. Tendencies. Yes. Or I have tended to see at yeah. work certain things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That too. <laughs> woo woo, Meryl, the grammar police. Yeah. But sorry. she is. It's okay. Sorry, not sorry. That's, we, we appreciate that about her. I am trying to think back in the logs of my brain to try to answer that question. I know that there are certain things, um, boundaries, especially, I mean, if you, most of our identity and how we see the world around us is almost codified. It's not the 11th commandment, but it is pretty structured by the age of seven to nine. And so those early childhood experiences of how somebody nurtured or took care of someone. um, Okay. Maybe, you know, if someone is sick, I mean, right now we've got what we've got RSV, we've got COVID, we've got the cold, we got the flu going around and then we got new strains of everything. If, you know, if someone was, taken care of over and abundantly. You know, when I was sick, my parents would, you know, call off work and we would, I would get a present and I would, you know, get to watch TV all the time and I wouldn't have to do chores and I didn't have to cook and da, 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 da. And then expecting that everybody else because of that is going to cater to that, a significant other, a best Mm -hmm. friend, you know, those wounds or, or misunderstandings about boundaries and what is expected, even when we're, um, sick can lead to a worldview later on of demanding or expecting everybody. A teacher must give me, you know, during COVID, you know, students primarily were given extra time. You know, you, you couldn't fail a student during COVID in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Yeah. Uh, you had to accept late work and not count off for it. Mm-hmm. And now that we're kind of getting out of as bad as it's been, I still have some clients without narcissism, but still some of those wounds that like demanding that everybody must still be you know, doing that, mm-hmm. be holding, that accommodating yeah. those things. Interesting. Indefinitely. Yeah. Okay. Indefinitely. Wow, man. Well, indefinite's a long time. That's, that's a long time. So, you know, somebody with a strong opinion, you know, uh, how do they see other people around them? How do they talk about those other people? If they're open to change or open to hearing, you know, alternatives, then they're just a strong opinion. And we all can have Mm -hmm. strong opinions. Mm -hmm. We're not bad people yeah, because we think strongly about something. That's a good piece of advice. That's a great piece of advice. Do you think that those with strong personalities tend to get labeled as narcissistic? I mean, gaslight was the word of the year in 2022. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think 2023 is narcissist. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh goodness. Or or at the end of twenty twenty two. Philip's like, we're going down a great path. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're about to get really busy, Philip. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's one of my trainings that I have that I've chosen to do is learning more about, you know, I think it's 
cluster B personality disorders and how to treat them mm. because of that same reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I've heard that word thrown around a lot. I think my significant other is a narcissist. Um, anytime that someone is hurt or rude, then they're being triggered or gaslit or yeah. Byron says, yep. <laughs> and so we use these big phrases all the time and then they don't have as much weight. To them. Like when someone mm-hmm. genuinely is, sure. yeah. it's like, whoa, like yeah. that's, that's, that's not normal per se, or this is not normal human behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I follow this, um, therapist. I am going to absolutely butcher her name. So forgive me if you ever hear this, but, um, Nidra Glover Tawab, I think that is how you say it. She's a therapist and New York times bestselling author. And one day she posted, um, narcissism is now a buzzword to describe a complicated person. It's rare for someone to be clinically diagnosed with narcissism. And yet so many people are labeled by non-mental health professionals as a narcissist, um, in a one-on-one relationship and without the proper assessment tools, people are misdiagnosed as narcissists when they demonstrate problematic behaviors and diagnosing people without a professional is a breeding ground for misinformation. Mm -hmm. And then she says, um, goes on to say, you know, let's go back to describing behavior as mean or self-centered or deceitful or suspicious without labeling that person as a narcissist. I see you nodding your head. So it Mm -hmm. goes without saying that I I would think that you agree with uh, what I just read there. And then, you know, why or why not? What can people do um, to ensure, I guess, what are like, what are some signs people can look out for? I know we've kind of described them, but if you had like some key signs of like things that could indicate that somebody actually would be a narcissist and then somebody who's just being problematic. Like how do you distinguish the difference between the two, especially if you come from, you know, somebody who's just not used to that type of behavior, if they haven't been exposed to um, that type of relationship or they haven't been treated by like treated in some way by somebody who has those tendencies. Sure. I would say an objective outside third party, to be able to see, you know, most, most mental health things are based off of the pervasiveness and then also how historical something has been. So again, narcissism versus, you know, labeling a behavior, you know, uh, is this an always thing? How long did this last? You know, major depressive disorder is more days than not more often than not in the last two months, you know, uh, two weeks. Um, Again, looking at someone who's seen specialties, you know, uh, to diagnose narcissism, you know, even beyond me, which is why I'm wanting to be trained more, um, because we need to pull back the emotion and look at objectively what is or is not going on and then why. And so we see a lot more of labeling of people versus personality traits, you know, um, because of the right brain emotion seems to be always or never. Um, you need somebody to be able to a trusted friend who's healthy enough, um, or a therapist, uh, a pastor, if they're trained, uh, or understands, you know, uh, because I'd say life experience mm-hmm. as well as a degree is, is great, you know, to yeah. be able to know, okay, I was in a relationship with someone like that, or I had a family member. Okay. So you get stuff better than just what's like, you know, published written, or written mm-hmm. in the book someplace yeah. or that's maybe not equally as good, but very helpful to be able to know, is this just a personality trait and this person feels very strongly and we can assert ourselves and we can have boundaries with this person. Um, we would know if this person truly has narcissism because of the longevity of the symptoms and how mm-hmm. pervasive that is into every area of their life and how it affects everyone outside of it. It's like, you know, one of the criteria for alcoholism is still doing the same thing over and over again, despite the results and how it negatively affects other people. Yeah. So if I can be a quote unquote functional alcoholic at work, but then it's ruining my marriage, then it's a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm still holding on to these strong opinions or traits and I'm losing jobs, I'm getting kicked out. I'm, not fulfilling my duties in lots of areas of life, then that can point out more that this is beyond just a trait that we're holding on to, to survive. That's a good answer. Wow. Very good answer. Okay. Phil, this one wasn't on the list, but as we're getting ready to wrap up today, what is something that 
you have been like that God's been doing and like just for you, not like counselor aside, Mm -hmm. but what's something that God has been doing in your life lately and like putting on your heart that Philip Smith is like, God's doing this in my life right now. Mm. That's an awesome answer. (sighs) More to be it. Um, I didn't, I just, I didn't tell you that ahead of time, but well, I think I've, I think I've, talked about it for enough, uh, long term about taking care of myself and really looking out to make sure that I am the healthiest. But, um, in the last six months, I've now, uh, been taking care of myself more long term, looking after, you know, my health to make sure that I'm the best because I want to make sure that I'm not, um, running roughshod with not being in the word, or not resting. And so one of the ways that the Lord has kind of reminded me to take care of myself or what's most important is that if I'm going to tell you, Rhea, that you need to have those hobbies, I need to be living out those hobbies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, making sure that even if I feel like I need to get to bed, maybe staying up later, soaking in the tub, reading my favorite author so that I can clear my head and take a pause and not just go, you know, bump, bump, bump from one thing to another, Mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of looking after, you know, I talk enough about it, like making sure that I'm healthy and that I'm putting in good practices for you. But if I'm not doing them myself, if I just talk about them, the Lord has really been impressing upon me that that's really hypocritical Mm. and it only gets so far if I'm not living out what I tell you to do Mm. or what I encourage you. Nice. You know, be in the word for the sake of knowing it and living it out, not just James hearing it and then walking away and being unchanged. And then not doing anything with mm-hmm. it. Okay. You said sitting at or reading your favorite book by your mm-hmm. favorite author. Who is your favorite author? Dean Koontz. Oh, what? Dean Koontz. Do you know Dean Koontz? Yeah, I think I've read some books. I would not be able to pull one to memory, but I've read his books. What books some is he? What is, what do you have a favorite book of, by him? Mm, Hideaway. Um, he's, he only has had a couple that have hit Hollywood. So, uh, that's one of them. Okay. It's kind of like, um, hmm, less extreme, uh, Stephen King. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Byron says yes. Uh, I've, read, Watcher, I've read watchers. You know yes. Yes. That's a good one. Oh. Yeah. Watchers is really Odd good. Thomas. Yep. yep. I've read that one. That whole I've series. never heard of any of these. What? Yeah. yeah. Well, wow. Well, yeah. I mean, Stephen King, I went on a quite a bender of Mm. reading Stephen King novels on this podcast. (laughs) You all heard it. I went on a bender of reading Uh just like Stephen King, Uh like for almost. How'd that work out for you? I had some serious trouble sleeping. Mm, Go figure. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) But I was like, I couldn't put the books down because I was like, I just have to keep reading. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Dean Koontz is a more tempered mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's sure. great. I, I love how you're like, I had terrible nights sleeping, <laughs> but I kept doing it anyways. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Oops. <laughs> like we just talked about. I'm just kidding. Well, that's kind of the 99% to give our mind off of the other 1%, whether it's work or narcissistic tendencies of others Mm kind of helps us to get back into the rest of our life that we enjoy and be able to press a pause button you know, on that yeah. other stuff. I had a, I have a friend who, you know, um, I think it was his mom was going through like postpartum and she went to the, um, pediatrician and the pediatrician said, um, you know, what are you doing to try to understand this, to get better from this? And she said, well, I'm reading this and I'm going to this, you know, website. And the pediatrician said, stop it. You know, you were already thinking of that. You need to invest in that 99% outside of that one thing that you're trying to fix. That like constantly, mm-hmm. like that you're constantly ruminating your mind sure. on. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So while like, let's say I have a cancellation or an opening in my schedule, I'm trying to exercise in the office or do things that are relaxing versus just professional at times. Um, and especially at home trying to, you know, read books that get my mind off of what I've been helping with that day that aren't mm-hmm. just business focused. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's good. It's really good. I'm like, Oh, I can take that for practical stuff. Cause I feel like I can tend to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. The roles reverse again. Now I feel like I'm opening up my, see, this Mine is what happens. Tables. Wow. Cause I'm just thinking like, man, I said, I'm going to end up or like being counseled, yeah. but it's fine. But I do feel like I tend to do that of, yeah, like I have like this, this is in front of me. I want to read this. I want to mm-hmm. learn all about sure. this. I want to like perfect this. Uh-huh. And then if I'm not doing something that seems productive, then it's that like, Oh, well you could be using your time sure. better. Why aren't you using your time better? Yeah. Again, narcissism, it's not just what, but it's why, why would I do that? Why is this person trying to get me to do this thing? Why would I do this business like thing? Is it because I really want to get better and I want to serve the Lord better? Or is it that I have the fear of I'm not good enough if I don't do this? Yeah. Do you feel that this is just a kind of a follow-up question? We asked it a little bit earlier, but do you feel like that, that I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. battle is one of the strongest battles that someone who has been in a relationship with a narcissist, like that, that could be as well as trusting self again, coming up against that. Like I'm not good enough. Do you see that a lot? I'm not whole enough. Mm -hmm. Like who I am is not worth, sure. Worth filling the blank. Mm -hmm. Jerry Maguire, you complete me, you know, that like I have to be completed by someone else or this one person, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's the the codependent person who is looking for that relationship and I'm not good enough outside of this. I don't know who I am outside of this person mm-hmm. or someone with the narcissistic tendencies of, I have to be someone and I have to have somebody else to scratch that itch for me in order to be good enough and, and bring it back to the theology. Like, of course, we're not going to be whole outside of Christ, right? Outside of his rule and his reign in our life. We're not going to be ever And if we can't be complete in him, then we Mm -hmm. can't be closer to whole with or without somebody else. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. That's that's, good. That's not a one and done. (laughs) That's an every moment of every day. (laughs) Every moment of every day. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, God, make me you. You do it in me because I can't. can't. As one of my best friends will say, you know, before and after coming to faith, you know, it's still the same thing. Repent and believe, but repent and believe, you know. Yeah change the way that we're going, go and sin no more and believe and be changed by that. I have a question. Randomly just came, just came to mind. Um, what, what would you tell someone who, you know, is listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, I think that I have a problem here. I think that I am in a relationship with somebody that, that could have this and they sort of like feel stuck. How would you encourage that person to take the next step? And what would that next step look like? That's a great question. Wow. Um, I would say, yeah, Meryl, going back to having that support system, hopefully that person has somebody else. You can speak that truth into their life and be like, yeah, I think here's one, one thing. Let's, let's therapize this as one of my clients says, you know, let's, let's make a, you know, hierarchy of the 10 things that maybe would be important to address or modify in that relationship, whether it's the person who's saying, Ooh, I think there's something there, or maybe from outside, you know, objective feedback, let's list these things and let's look at addressing the smaller, the medium, medium, low things more often to see how impenetrable maybe those dynamics are. Yeah. You know, and consistently, you know, Let's step out in ways, maybe even outside of that relationship and see if that person has been so codependent upon the person with the narcissism that they can't even speak that to their bestie. You know, they can't even um, bring up a disagreement and they don't feel really comfortable talking to their boss, Mm -hmm. you know. So then through that, then to be able to copy and paste that with their significant other or a family member who has these tendencies, can they do it in other things and feel more comfortable to then allow them to do it with this person? Yeah. Yeah. I would just encourage anybody that's listening to, I mean, to just kind of go along with that because I, there was, I mean, a really long period of time. My, like my entire family had no idea what was mm-hmm. going on in my relationship sure. and not even like my closest friends knew like just how bad things were. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage anybody that is sort of feeling that way. Like I felt stuck. Like I just felt like, oh my gosh, like this is so wrong. Everything's so wrong. Like I am, and I of course would like over own a lot of my part Mm -hmm. in it, of course. But, um, I would just encourage anybody who is kind of in that spot to 
consider a therapist. Like just, I mean, that would probably just be, I guess my first and foremost thing. Like if you don't think that you can talk to a friend or if you don't think that you can come to a family member, because we've all experienced like, you know, a sibling or something like that where in a, in like your familial relationship where they are spilling way too much tea about what's going on Mm -hmm. in their relationship. And then, you know, by observing that you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to do that because what if, what if we end up patching things up? What if Mm -hmm. it ends up getting better or, Mm -hmm. you know, what if things do improve and I don't want to feel like an idiot. And now my family has this view of exactly now everybody that I care about hates this person that I'm with because we decided to work things out. Like how do I, you know, navigate that? Um, I would say because that was exactly what I was going through and that's just, you know, ignore that thought and go like, go see a therapist and go talk to somebody who has, no familial relationship with you or friendship. And that way, you know, you can talk to somebody who has only, who is only getting your side of the story. And so therefore they can best lead you to what you should do next. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Philip, thank you so much. Do you have any other questions, Meryl? No, that's it. I think we're set. Seriously. Thank you so much for coming on and making the trek all the way down here. And it means the world. So Philip Smith, everybody, Philip Smith. Smith. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it today. So be sure to check out our website at www.boldco.studio where you can learn more about us or you can stream episodes. If you don't have a preferred platform that you use already, Um, you can email us with thoughts, questions, comments, or if there's a topic you'd like to discuss, um, you'd like for us to discuss on the show here, um, please email us at info at boldco.studio. Be sure to like and rate us on whatever streaming platform you found us on. And finally, give us a follow at Twitter at boldwomenco and on Instagram at boldwomen.podcast. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon.